The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Hello everyone and welcome to the Super Bowl edition, post-Super Bowl edition of Filato on Football here on Big Blue View Radio. I am the host, Nicholas Filato. We're going to dive into this Tampa Bay Buccaneer 31-9 victory over the Kansas City Chiefs. Tom Brady, first year in the NFC, wins a Super Bowl. His seventh Super Bowl takes this former 7-9 team led by Jameis Winston, who was a part of the 30-for-30 club, 30 touchdowns, 30 interceptions. Tom Brady comes in, leads this team to a Super Bowl, 11-5 regular season record, goes in to New Orleans and beats Drew Brees and the Saints Twice this season, they lost in embarrassing fashion to the Saints. Then goes up to Lambeau Field, defeats Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers, and now just demolishes the Kansas City Chiefs. And there are a lot of factors that go into that, if we're going to be real, and we're going to get into all of those factors. They also beat the Taylor Heineke-led Washington football team in Washington. Remember, Heineke lit the world on fire in that wild card round. But, hey... Tom Brady, you cannot say enough good things about him right now. This offense, the coaching staff, Bruce Arians, Todd Bowles, Byron Leftwich, excellent game plan to take out the Kansas City Chiefs and take advantage of their critical vulnerability, which was the Chiefs' offensive line. No Mitchell Schwartz. No Eric Fisher. They had to jumble around their offensive line to bring Stephen Wisniewski in to start. The line was jumbled, it was filled with backups, and I have no clue what the offensive staff of the Kansas City Chiefs were doing the entire game. There was virtually no adjustments. They had their game plan and they did not adjust, and they went in there with a five-man pressure package 92% of the times, and yes, sometimes they were chipping the running backs, the tight ends, they would chip release, but primary protection was five men, 92% of the dropbacks for the Kansas City Chiefs. That's inexcusable. What are you doing? You're giving JPP and Shaq Barrett just a free lane to get after Patrick Mahomes. And that's why Mahomes was pressured on 52% of his dropbacks in this game. And that's incredible that Andy Reid and Eric Bieniemy didn't adjust throughout the game. They wanted Pat Mahomes to play that backyard style of football where he runs around and finds his playmakers. They wanted to spread it out, use every inch of the field, get Miko Hardman, Tyreek Hill, Sammy Watkins, Travis Kelsey, use 11 personnel, and not really run the football. They strayed away from the run when Clyde Edwards-Alaire was actually having a solid game on the ground. 
He had nine carries for 64 yards, 26-yard long, 7.1 yards per carry, but they strayed away from that a little bit too early when the game was still within reach. And that game didn't really become out of reach until Tampa Bay scored on their first possession in the second half. It was 9-28 after that, and that was the Leonard Fournette 27-yard run where he just scampered through. You could look at both of these teams. One of the coaching staffs made several adjustments from that Week 12 loss to the Chiefs. That's the Tampa Bay's coaching staff. Byron Leftwich. They stuck to the run. They used Rob Gronkowski a lot more in more creative ways near the red zone. They used him on that one pop pass that broke for 25 yards. They didn't focus on throwing the football and forcing the football to Mike Evans or Chris Godwin. They trusted the run game, worked the play action, and methodically moved the football, controlled the clock, kept Kansas City on the bench, their offense. And Kansas City's offense couldn't do anything against Tampa Bay's defense, mainly because the protection was so bad, and Tampa Bay's defense is just filled with speed. I mean, you got Levante David. You have Devin White, who they drafted in the top 10 pick just last year. And both those guys possess so much speed. Think about Tampa Bay and what they've done through the draft. How many kicks the can they've taken at the cornerback and defensive back position. Justin Evans out of Texas A&M, a third-round pick, did not work out. Vernon Hargraves out of Florida, first-round pick, did not work out. But the Jason Likes credit, somebody who traded up in the second round for Roberto Aguayo, a kicker out of Florida. So, you know... He was down for a little bit there, but to his credit, he kept taking kicks at the can, trusting his process, and he landed Sean Murphy Bunting. He landed Carlton Davis. He landed Antoine Winfield Jr., and he gets to reap these benefits because that defense was one of the main reasons why they won that football game, and we saw what happened to them. Todd Bowles saw what happened to his team when he tried to play middle of the field closed cover one against this offense it did not work he adjusted in the second half of that game Tampa Bay almost won that game they lost 27 to 24 back in week 12 but they adjusted they played too high shell Tyree Kill we're going to cloud cover you you're not going to beat us deep we're going to focus on Travis Kelsey and we're going to allow you to run the football on us but for whatever reason Andy Reid did not take that offering he didn't stick to the run he strayed away from it. And when he did utilize the run, it worked. Again, Clyde Edwards-Alaire only had nine carries. Daryl Williams, too. Patrick Mahomes was most effective when he was scrambling. And yes, Pat Mahomes finishes this game 26-49, 270, no touchdowns, and, zero, and two interceptions. Sacked three times. But they could never get any kind of passing rhythm because that offensive line was so beat up. So why not try to slow it down, run the football because you were having success doing that? Slow that pass rush down. Give yourself an ability to win the football game. Don't run vertical routes all the time when you can't protect. Put Pat Mahomes in this very, very precarious situation. There was a lot of lack of adjustments by the Kansas City Chiefs. And Tampa Bay is the opposite, especially from Week 12 to the Super Bowl. And if you had to take a picture of both those games, it would be... Picture of Tyree Kill throwing up the deuces, the peace sign, to rookie out of Minnesota, Antoine Winfield Jr. And right next to that picture would be Antoine Winfield Jr. doing the same thing in the fourth quarter to Tyree Kill. Comes around. That's a penalty. That's spiteful. And I loved every second of it. 
good on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, great on Tom Brady, just further cementing his legacy as the GOAT, the greatest of all time, and helping, you know, that already strong resume of Eli Manning, who defeated Tom Brady twice in the Super Bowl, Tom Brady and Bill Belichick. The only quarterback, the other one, to defeat him is Nick Foles with the Eagles. So the NFC East had their number in this big game. But you can't say enough good things about Tampa Bay. Kansas City, they had a lot of turmoil going into this game. You had the Mitchell Schwartz injury several weeks ago. The Eric Fisher injury in the fourth quarter against the Buffalo Bills in the AFC Championship game. You knew that was going to be something to overcome. And then midweek, Andy Reid's son, Brett, outside linebackers coach of the Kansas City Chiefs, gets into a car accident and was reportedly really drunk at the time. And there were civilians injured, young children injured. It's a terrible, terrible look. It's something that had to weigh on the Chiefs. And yes, the game plan for the game is devised in the first week of preparation, but that's still something that weighs on you. And when you look at the Chiefs, and I'm not saying that it was this way just because of that one bad event, but when you look at the Chiefs, I looked out of it. You had one touchdown pass go off of Tyreek Hill's face mask, another touchdown pass in garbage time, go off of Daryl Williams' face mask. Travis Kelsey had a really bad drop on a third down. He got up, he just looked like they weren't even in the game. Like their minds were somewhere else. Like they were just getting beaten up. And Tampa Bay, Todd Bowles, what their defense did? Oh, Tyreek Hill. Oh, Travis Kelsey. You've been getting free releases all year. Well, guess what? Not this time. I'm going to check you with the line of scrimmage. You're not getting into your route stem easily. I'm going to be physical. I'm going to out manhandle you. You're going to try to manhandle me, I'm going to out-manhandle you. I'm going to throw off your timing of the route. Pat Mahomes, he's going to be rushing for his life, because JPP, Vita Vea, Shaq Barrett, and Adam Kansu. And he was. So, who would have thought? Who would have thought? 37 pressures. 31 hurries. Comes down to the trenches, ladies and gentlemen. And who would have thought that Tom Brady, first year out of New England, in a truncated offseason with no preseason, limited training camp, a lot of Zoom meetings, who would have thought that that guy, who's the GOAT, would actually put it all together and win this Super Bowl? There's no continuity established there. Yeah, he played with Gronk and he played with AB a little bit in New England, but they took their bumps and bruises all season. wasn't pretty. A lot of low points, but they persevered and they won the Super Bowl. I got to applaud him. I got to applaud JPP, former New York Giant. Big reason why the Giants won that Super Bowl back in 2011. He gets his second ring. Stinks for Spags. Big Steve Spagnola fan. But the defense couldn't slow down Tom Brady and this Tampa Bay Buccaneers offense. Credit to the running game, too. I mean, Leonard Fournette, playoff Lenny, Super Bowl Lenny, whatever nickname Tom Brady's deeming for his running back right now. Somebody that might get a solid contract not going to get overpaid, but Tampa Bay is going to have interest in bringing him back after this playoff run that has been phenomenal by Leonard Fournette. And he caps it off in the Super Bowl with his 16 carries, 89 yards, and a touchdown, four catches for 46 yards. Hit over 130 yards of offense, 135 yards of offense. Leonard Fournette cast away by the Jacksonville Jaguars. Ronald Jones, 12 carries for 61 yards. Every time he touched the football, it looked like he was shot out of a cannon. That's phenomenal work by that rushing attack, by that offensive line. They have big guys like Ali Marpet out of Hobart went down to the Senior Bowl, impressed. Jensen, they got from the Ravens, signed him in free agency, impressed. 
Donovan Smith, Tristan Wirfs out of Iowa, which Giant fans are very familiar with because the Giants had a chance to draft Tristan Wirfs. They went with Andrew Thomas. And time will tell if that's going to be the right move. But Tristan Wirfs has been one of the best right tackles in the league. And yes, he's playing behind Tom Brady, somebody who has one of the quickest releases in the National Football League. But when you watch Tristan Wirfs, you can see the talent that is evident and that is there. So offensive line, defensive line, pressuring the quarterback, protecting the quarterback. Some of the main key points to this victory right here. And Pat Mahomes, he got a taste of what it's like when you have a subpar offensive line. Because the offensive line wasn't this bad the entire year. They're dinged up. Really dinged up. And losing Eric Fisher proved to be very, very costly for the Chiefs. And why there was no significant adjustments to put Mahomes into a better position, I don't necessarily know. Because it's not like Tampa Bay outgained Kansas City. Kansas City had 350 yards. Tampa Bay only had 340. Kansas City had about two minutes less of time of possession. A lot of this came in garbage time, some of it, yes. But it was just Kansas City couldn't sustain drives. They kept punting and settling for field goals. They didn't score a touchdown. The Chiefs didn't score a touchdown. Think about that. The 14-2 and two Chiefs. And one of those losses was in Week 17 when Pat Mahomes didn't play. But Tampa Bay played their best game by far. Played phenomenally from the start to the finish. And some key turning points almost seemed like it could have swayed the momentum. The turnover run downs. It's a 7-3 ball game. Start of the second quarter. And there's a turnover on downs with Ronald Jones getting stuffed at the goal line two times after an almost fat guy touchdown pass to Joe Haig, which would have been incredibly, incredibly cool to see. But that touchdown didn't happen. And the Chiefs stop him. Excellent play by the Chiefs. But then the offense goes out there, gets eight yards, and punts the football three and out. Guess what? Next drive, six plays, 38 yards, and a touchdown to go up 14 to three. And early on in this game, and I'm glad, kind of down the stretch, no, I shouldn't say I'm glad, because I'm always rooting for a good football game that's going to entertain me, something that we can talk about, and something that's going to be fun. But I gotta say, in the second quarter, and I know the Chiefs are guilty of some grabbing sometimes, there were some pretty egregious penalties in that second quarter. The interception to Tyron Matthew, where on the backside of the play, Mike Evans was kind of altered, and they threw the defensive holding penalty that was rough because that's a big difference in the game right there it's a huge difference in the game that was on a third and four with the Buccaneers having a seven to three lead they threw that and an end result of that drive ended up being a 17 yard touchdown pass to Rob Gronkowski that's different maybe the game could have been different you would say in the first half and then to end the half that penalty on Tyron Matthew the defensive pass interference against Mike Evans. That's a tough one to call, in my opinion. That's a, that's a very tough one to call. It did not seem like it. It didn't even seem like the ball was catchable. And it's Mike Evans, who is the absolute king of pushing off. King of the OPI. Rarely gets called. Because the National Football League skews all of its rules to maximize offense. It's hard to be a defender these days. That's certain. But then halftime... It's 21-6, to six, and then the Chiefs do absolutely nothing after that. So it's even hard to really even remember that. I just wanted to acknowledge it because it did seem pretty egregious at the time. 
But this was Tampa Bay from the start to the finish. And they proved that by holding Pat Mahomes in this offense to nine points. Yes, offensive line was hurt. That's unfortunate. Next man up is a cool motto to have. It's not always that simple. The depth wasn't there, and they cannot even attempt to block the front four of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Great Super Bowl. Tom Brady has seven now to himself. More than the Pittsburgh Steelers franchise, more than the Dallas Cowboys franchise. Tom Brady has more Super Bowls than any franchise. Because obviously, the six that he won before, the Patriots, they had six. Guess what? They don't have that seventh because the only people who ever won that Super Bowl at the quarterback position was Tom Brady. So it's a person, not even people. Already on the second half of the show, we're going to review some of the awards of the 2020 season. So just stay right here. We'll be right back. But here are some excellent advertisements for you. Support for this show comes from Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Loom help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. That's why millions of teams around the world, including 75% of the Fortune 500, trust Atlassian Software for everything from space exploration and green energy to delivering pizzas and podcasts. Whether you're a team of two, 200 or 2 million, or whether your team is around the corner or on another continent altogether, Atlassian Software is built to help keep you all on the same page from start to finish. That way, every one of your teams, from engineering and IT to marketing, HR and legal, can stay connected and move together as one towards shared company-wide goals. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com. That's A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. And we have the Rookie of the Year, the Defensive Player of the Year, the MVP, the Coach of the Year. All of that was determined at the NFL Honors on Saturday night. And we'll start with the MVP. It was Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers won the MVP. It was well-deserved. It's his third MVP. He won it in 2011 when the Giants defeated Aaron Rodgers, really badly, by the way, in Lambeau Field, the divisional round of the playoffs of that season, on to the Super Bowl where they defeated Tom Brady, another big part of this podcast. And then he also won it in 2014. I think that was the move, to be honest, because I think Aaron Rodgers had a very spectacular year, second year in Matt LaFleur's offense. We saw last year was more of a run-oriented offense. Aaron Rodgers was getting used to it. Aaron Jones had won a heck of a year. But Rodgers just tore the league up this year. I think Pat Mahomes also got, I think, a few votes. I think it was, might have been only been two votes, if I remember correctly. But it was almost unanimously Aaron Rodgers, but not quite. The only one that was really almost unanimous, which probably should have been unanimous, especially the way the Steelers finished the season, was comeback player of the year, Alex Smith. I mean, 
you could think about renaming this award after Alex Smith for what he was able to do. Coming back from basically the brink of death almost, almost losing his leg. And it's not even really being hyperbolic. But he got 49 of the 50 votes. One vote went to Ben Roethlisberger. Now, I could see maybe if Ben Roethlisberger went to the Super Bowl, but I believe all these are actually calculated before that. But even if the Steelers were 17-0, you can consider him, but it's still got to be Alex Smith. So that one was a little bit interesting. I think another one that's interesting, Aaron Donald getting his third defensive player of the year. Now, it's hard to argue against Aaron Donald. Two names that come to my mind would be T.J. Watt and actually Xavier Howard, who both received votes. I think Xavier Howard only received three votes. Aaron Donald received 27, and T.J. Watt received 20. The thing I'd say about Xavier Howard is, if you look at his stats relative to Stephon Gilmore, who won it last year, they're pretty darn comparable, other than the fact that Xavier Howard had four more interceptions. Xavier Howard had 10 interceptions, which hasn't been done since 2007. So I know the Dolphins, they went 10-6, and six, but they didn't make the playoffs. He might have deserved a little bit more love, but it's hard to argue against what Aaron Donald has done because Aaron Donald is an absolute beast. He gets triple teamed on some plays, and he still racks up more pressures than anybody at his position. He gets edge type of sack production, which is incredibly hard. People are trying to normalize it. Like, oh, yeah, you know, he had 18 sacks. He had 18 and a half sacks. Like, that's insane for an interior defensive lineman. <laughs> that's incredible. That's edge. That's like elite edge type numbers. But Aaron Donald normalizes it. Incredible. And as for the offensive player of the year, Derrick Henry, I think that's the guy you are going to have to go with because he had over 2,000 yards rushing. Not a lot of people get over 2,000 yards rushing. Aaron Rodgers get the MVP. I want to say Aaron Rodgers also received votes for the offensive player of the year. Alvin Kamara received a couple, which doesn't really make all that much sense to me. And there were a couple other quarterbacks, Pat Mahomes, who received it. But Derrick Henry joining that 2,000-yard rushing club, I think it's pretty well-deserved. As for the Rookie of the Year, the Pepsi Rookie of the Year, overall Rookie of the Year, was Justin Herbert. He deserves it, in my opinion. I think if Joe Burrow doesn't get hurt, you have a very, very interesting conversation. Justin Jefferson is another name that's had a really good year for a rookie who is on offense. But I think you still got to go with Justin Herbert for Rookie of the Year and... Microsoft Surface AP Offensive Rookie of the Year. Same with the Defensive Rookie of the Year was Chase Young. Hard to argue against that. I think Jeremy Chin got some votes. That kind of seems a little odd. I think Jeremy Chin is a very good player and ascending player. Solid person to have on your roster right now. But he had a couple touchdowns midseason that helped sway games. But he's still not a polished player quite yet. He's rather raw. But Patrick Queen received votes, and that is somewhat ridiculous to me because Patrick Queen, yes, he's a tackling machine, but watching that Ravens film in prep for the Giants game and the Giants game itself, you can see that he's incredibly athletic, incredibly fast, but he doesn't process the game to the level that he should, probably even for a rookie. He's raw, so that's fine, but to, to vote him over Chase Young is kind of ridiculous to me. Anyways, the coach of the year was Kevin Stefanski. It's hard to argue against. It's the Browns, mediocre team. But there are there are some other coaches. I think Ron Rivera's name. I think he received votes. I mean, the guy's dealing with cancer. The guy's dealing with a lot of turmoil with that organization just in general. And he led his 
Team to the playoffs. I mean, sub-500 record, but still, still a playoff team. I know it's the NFC East. But I still think Kevin Stefanski, if I had my pick, I would go with him. And he's a first-year head coach, so credit to him. And then the AP Assistant Coach of the Year, which I didn't really know was a thing. I think Patrick Graham's name should have been in there. But the Giants didn't make the playoffs. They finished 6-10. So it's going to be hard to make that case. But it went to Buffalo Bills offensive coordinator Brian Dayball. I mean, the dude basically fixed Josh Allen. And I want to give credit to Josh Allen as well because he works his tail off at his craft. And he got significantly better from last year to this year. But Brian Dayball deserves a lot of credit as well. So I don't have any gripes with Brian Dayball winning that award either. And then the Walter Payton Man of the Year ended up going to Russell Wilson. So credit to Russell Wilson. That's his first time winning this award. A lot of every team gets one representative from their team to possibly win the Walter Payton Man of the Year award. So good job to Mr. Russell Wilson. And then we have the Pro Football Hall of Fame class of 2021. So for the head coach, we have longtime Raiders head coach, Super Bowl champion Tom Flores, scout Bill Nunn. Don't have anything on Bill Nunn, to be honest. But then we go on to the players. Offensive lineman, Alan Fanica, longtime Pittsburgh Steeler, longtime New York Jet, one of the best interior offensive linemen of my high school days, to be honest. Loved getting him Madden, building that offensive line, trying to run the football, establish the run, hashtag it. Alan Fanica was an absolute beast for the Steelers and the Jets. And then Calvin Johnson, first ballot Hall of Famer. Has to be. Same with Peyton Manning who's also on this list. First ballot Hall of Famer. Peyton Manning, it's been five years now since he's retired, since he rode off into the sunset after defeating Cam Newton and the Carolina Panthers. It's credible that it's been five years, but it has been. And Peyton Manning is now eligible to become that Hall of Fame Manning. And hopefully in a couple of years, we'll see another one as a first ballot too. Safety John Lynch, who's now the general manager, for the San Francisco 49ers. He earns the bid. He was a longtime Tampa Bay Buccaneer, won a Super Bowl with them, and the first time winning the Super Bowl back in 2002. And we have wide receiver Drew Pearson, longtime Dallas Cowboy, and defensive back Charles Woodson, who was on the Raiders, he was on the Packers, and I remember him in that 2007 NFC Championship game when Brennan Jacobs absolutely demolished him, running up the gut. It was very, very fun. But I like Charles Woodson. I think his analysis on television is very good for ESPN. He's an interesting person to listen to because he has so much knowledge about the game. And he's a hard-nosed defensive player who loved to hit people. So I always love those types of guys. This should be a really, really fun pro football Hall of Fame class with a lot of good speeches, if I'm going to be honest. Because Peyton Manning, you know he's going to bring a lot of flair to the speeches, as will Charles Woodson. Alrighty, everybody. And that's this episode of Flotto on football. Now, I think it's going to be interesting this week. We might have a division rivals quarterback be traded. Not sure where. Could be to the Bears, possibly Carolina. Probably not, though. I'm thinking more the Bears or the Indianapolis Colts. But Carson Wentz is rumored to be traded within the next coming days. So on the next time I record this podcast, we'll be talking a lot about that deal, what it means for the Eagles, and what it means for whatever team receives Carson Wentz. Thank you so much for listening to Flotto on Football, please rate, subscribe, and review this podcast wherever you guys digest these podcasts. And have a lovely day. Take care.